Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Matt Rosetta, CEO of North Sixth Group. Matt, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, Connor. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Matt, as we begin with every guest, can you please tell us your earliest football memory? Wow, my earliest football memory. Well, I was born in late 1982, December 1982, so I just missed... Uh, I just missed Italy winning the 82 World Cup. So my first memories were probably listening to my family, my grandfather in particular, talk about the 1982 World Cup. My first memories actually watching games were on my grandfather's lap in the late 80s, early 90s. That was the heyday of Serie A and AC Milan and the Maradona Napoli teams. And those are probably my earliest memories actually watching the games. And like many Italians back then, they made the trip to North America. How many, um, how many generations of Rosetta's made that trip? In fact, Matt, <laughs> many, many. My my family's my my father's side came over in the early 1900s um, from Calabria and from Sicily. My mother's side came over more more recently. My grand my grandparents immigrated here from the Apulia region of Italy in the 50s and 60s. Fantastic, and of course, I mean, we'll touch upon Italy throughout the course of this podcast as it's played such a prominent role in where you are today, but I mean, first and foremost, being CEO of North Six Group and um, researching for the show, Matt, I've seen like it's a firm which provides strategic services, expertise and capital to companies. You've a portfolio is diverse, stemming from media on one side to tech and financial services on the other. I mean, as recently as 2021, when you begun investing in football with Asoli, what was the motive to begin investing in the beautiful game? Well, I had, it was really a lifelong dream of mine. You know, I grew up, as I mentioned, watching football, calcio, you know, with my my grandfather and soccer was and football was one of the few investments I felt where I could actually relive my childhood. And it's enabled me to do that. Obviously, you know, my grandfather now, it's been almost 20 years since he's no longer with us, but it's been a way for me to reconnect, I think, um, you know, with him and with my roots and my heritage. And in a way, so, you know, it's a way that we've been able to give back to, obviously, when you, you know, Obviously, Connor, I know you talk to a lot of owners and CEOs of other football clubs. So I'm sure they tell you the same thing. You know, when you represent a football club, you're not just representing a, a sporting club. You know, you're really representing a community and a set of values. And, you know, that that I think to me has been the most rewarding and gratifying part of the experience is just being a you know an agent of social change for a community. In the case of Campobasso, particularly, that um, really needs one. You know, Campobasso is a place... In Italy, and I know we'll get into it later, but it's a place in Italy that historically has been sort of overlooked and forgotten, you know, in the shadows of Rome and Naples. So the opportunity to really effectuate change uh, as an owner has been uh, has been really rewarding. That's a really cool thing because, of course, you know, you look at the essence of the nature of a firm at which you are the key stakeholder of, you know, North Sex Group and whatnot. But on your website, what I really love is the mantra of investing in stuff that has passion and there's progress attainable from that. And you speak with such a fervor for the beautiful game that, you know, it, it's it's a case of like, you look at the lower league stories, such as the Wrexham now, it's like, wow, these owners that are coming into the game, their intentions are absolutely pure. And there's something there, I think, Matt, that we'll speak upon that it's not necessarily selling a story, it's story living. Yeah, that's totally true. And you just going back to what you're saying about our, mission at North Six, you know, I got to a point in my career, I founded a business called North Six Agency, N6A 
which was a PR a PR firm. We founded that in my basement in 2010. And I got to a point about 10 or you know, 10 years or so into running that business where um, you know, I was I was ready for a new challenge. I didn't want to sell the firm. You know, the firm was very much a part of uh, my family and a part of you know, we, had, we had built a great culture and we had a really great thing going on. So I didn't want to sell it, but I was ready for a new challenge. And I sort of woke up one day and got out of bed. It was right in the middle of the pandemic. And I said to myself, you know what, at this stage of my life and my career, you know, I was 37 years old, 38 years old at the time. I said, you know what, I'm, I'm from this point forward, I'm only going to get involved in businesses that I'm passionate about and work, you know, with and for people that I can, um, you know, that I can get behind and I can really get excited about. And that's, that's really, you know, what ultimately now today we have eight, eight businesses under North six group. Uh, but the common thread is that they're all businesses that we're passionate about, you know, they have people running them that, you know, we, uh, we really feel we, we can support and there's a greater purpose beyond just, uh, you know, beyond just an economic purpose, there's really an impact and a, you know, there's a social component to all of our, our investments. And obviously football was the, uh, the first entry into that, into this new vision. And it's been a, an incredibly rewarding experience. And you look at that portfolio now, I mean, as we spoke about, I saw a Serie B team, Campo Basso and the newly founded Brooklyn Football Club. But starting with Campo Basso, I mean, it's such a fascinating story. I mean, the joke amongst Italians themselves is that the region is so small, apparently, they assume it just doesn't exist. Yeah, it's true, Connor. You know, I, I, when I, I really fell in love with the Campo Basso story about three or four years ago when we first dabbled in Italian football. And one of my objectives was that I wanted to invest in a football club in Italy that was sort of represented my upbringing and my background. And, you know, I was really never given any favors in my life and my career and Campobasso really represented that. It was also about just an hour or so outside of the town in Italy where my grandparents immigrated from. So there was obviously a connection to the region. And, you know, you had seen this influx of foreign capital, particularly American, you know, American high net worth investors, institutional investors, private equity, all of this money just pouring into Italian football, but most of the money was going to the north. And, you know, I just I just couldn't personally I just don't connect with the north as much as I do to the south. Nothing against the, you know, the north of Italy. It's just, you know, my roots are in the south and I'm a proud southerner and the, you know, southern hospitality and warmth I think is just so unique and why when I made a commitment that we were only going to invest in businesses we were passionate about, um, you know, what better club than Campobasso, which sort of mirrored, you know, my journey as a, as a business person, mirrored my journey as, you know, as a human and, you know, in very many ways respect represents the, you know, the values that my family bestowed upon me. And um, it's just a great, you know, it's a great project for me to be a part of. And really, I, you know, wake up, every day and i'm just proud to uh, proud to be a part of it because i feel like it represents it represents me and it represents all of the people you know there's millions of people that have similar stories you know they come from backgrounds and upbringings where they might be a little bit overlooked a little bit forgotten you know they were never given any favors they were sort of the you know the, the classic underdog underdogs in their lives and their careers and Campobasso, beyond being a football club has really turned into a platform that you know represents all of those people and for me it's um you know it's a thrill obviously to be at the center of that project and to give people kind of some bit of understanding of where the club was when you took it over i mean 10 days before the start of the first your first season I believe you guys had no coach you had no players and in fact there was i think there was 
stadium, the stadium was abandoned to the point that there was mushrooms even growing on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, that's all true. All of the things you said were true. We closed the deal. I think it was September 11th, 2022. And our first game was, I think it was September 19th. So we had like eight days and there were no players, but the transfer window had closed, you know, closes in Italy on September 1st. Right. So we, we couldn't even, you know, we couldn't even attack the transfer window. We were, we were restricted to signing basically players who were unsigned and free agents and, you know, didn't have, um, you know, weren't under contract with any teams Uh, We had no coach, so we had to go find a coach and a GM immediately. And, you know, I was fortunate where through Ascoli and through our initial um, experience in Campobasso, I had built a really great network of people that I could trust. So, you know, once we signed on the dotted line, we were able to get to work quickly, but we just didn't have the luxury of, you know, planning. You know, we 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 had to get right to business. And then, by the way, it wasn't just that we wanted to field a team. I mean, we really wanted to field a team that we felt could immediately win the league and get promoted. So that change the whole you know our whole thinking it's not like we were just trying to go put a team together that could finish mid-table I mean we we had eight days to you know put a team together that we felt could compete you know at a championship level and obviously thank god everything worked out but looking back on it now it was kind of it was kind of crazy yeah I mean, I mean like where do you begin even there just the thought process as to how to get the club up to par even just running operationally off the pitch and then technically on it well, you know, you put one piece at a time. If you if you look at it, if you look at the whole picture immediately, it becomes overwhelming. You know, if you think about all of the things you said, oh my God, we have to go hire a coach and we need to fill a roster with players and we need someone to run the business operations and a GM and we have to go clean the field up. Like if you think about all of that stuff, nobody would take that challenge on because it just seems so overwhelming, which it is. But I think if you just do it one, you know, one piece at a time, one brick at a time, and you prioritize, you know, you have to be very efficient with your time, just like in business, you have to really optimize your time. So the first thing we did was we put, um, we put the CEO in place immediately. Fortunately, you know, it was someone, Ivano Maselli, somebody who I had known for a while and I had trusted, which is obviously important when you have a foreign investment and you're not, you know, there every day, you know, living and seeing the investment, you really need someone who's running it, who you can trust implicitly. So we moved on, you know, Ivano was the first decision. And then immediately, you know, you go to the GM. So you start building the sporting side and then with the GM comes the coach. And then with the coach comes the players. And, you know, before we knew it, we were, you know, we had a real little team we were putting together, Um, but it all, it all came together quickly. And then obviously we, um, we were really fortunate where we were rolling quickly. I mean, we started winning games right away. We, went into the December winter transfer window in first place by like, I think it was by two points at the time. We had a lot of competition from our second place team, Izernia. So we go to, uh, we went into December and that was the first time we could really take a deep breath and start to sign players with more of a long-term view on things. So we wound up signing two or three young players in December who now are going to be impact players for us for years to come, even as we go up in leagues. Um, And that was a luxury. Obviously we didn't have, in September because we just needed to figure out anything we could do to put a competitive team together without really thinking about the long-term consequences. Hmm. And I mean, you just touched upon it there at the very start in terms of, you know, the connotation surrounding foreign direct investment going into a football club, particularly for the people of Campobasso in that part of Italy. I mean, obviously it was not a hostile takeover or anything, but it was very, the process was quite quick in terms of getting settled and embedded over there. What were the steps that you guys took as an ownership group to kind of generate that little bit of goodwill amongst the community and fans? Well, 
we were very fortunate. It was it was actually a very interesting dynamic, Connor, because the fans, the prior season, I don't know how much you know about the Campo Basso story, but the prior season, the, the, they were in the third tier in Serie Chi, and it was the first time in 32 years they had qualified, been promoted to the third tier. So it was pure euphoria for an entire season, and there was incredible energy and support and optimism from the fan base. And then basically, because of some administrative lapses that the old ownership group made, the club was denied re-entrance or readmittance into Setiachi, and we were basically forced to restart from the fifth tier, which then deflated the fans. So the fans, the fans in the span of you know 10 or 11 months went from pure elation and support and optimism to disappointment and heartbreak. And that was a very tough thing for us to manage because we came in with optimism and with energy and we were excited. I mean, this was our own team. We owned hundred percent of the club. We were building this thing from scratch. And even though we had to build the team from the lower tiers up, it was still our project, you know, and we were excited and we were proud. Um, but the fans, you know, had this bitter taste in their mouth from the fact that they were dropping from the third to the fifth tier, you know, for no, for to no fault of their own. It wasn't like the team got relegated on the pitch. The team got relegated in the Italian, you know, court since court system and and in the boardroom. Um, so that was tough, you know. We but look, we just we just did everything we could to um, understand their frustration. You know, we didn't want to overreact when fans complained and when they didn't show up to the stadium at first. We didn't, you know, we didn't take it personally. We just said, look, let us um, win your trust back by building a serious project. Obviously, by winning on the pitch and you know by showing you that we can build all of the pieces to set up a sustainable future for the club. And, you know, it didn't take, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but by the end of the season, this all culminated when we won the league on the road in the last game of the season, we had thousands, I mean, thousands of fans of supporters who traveled with the team. I mean, I was literally, if you ask anyone in our group who was out there, I mean, I was choked up. I mean, you could see the last game of the season, how, how much this project now has meant to these people, you know, who have suffered, so much and have been disappointed so much. And that was really our reward for, you know, for making the investment. And that, that showed us this was all worth it. And I mean, you could use that emotion that you're speaking of and you can hide it as a ghost in the wall and leave it, leave everything unsaid and everything undone with respect to that. Or you can use it as a superpower in terms of that emotional charge. And you guys, in fact, you framed the season with a neat quote which translates to hunger for revenge, I believe. Don't but look, I'm not going to butcher my Italian pronunciation, but <laughs> I believe, Matt, it's Fami di Rivincita. Is that okay? Fami di Rivincita. You're pretty okay, good, Connor. Okay. Yeah. My Irish Italian is improving. <laughs> However, like, I mean, that must just be a superpower to have something like that framed the entire season from the backroom staff, technical staff, the players, the ownership, the fans. Yeah, that was our war cry from day one. You know, when we signed on the dotted line for us, it was about revenge and it was about redemption. And we wanted that tattooed on, you know, on the clubs, on the clubs, uh, on all the clubs facilities and all the clubs merchandising and all of the clubs social media channels for the whole year. And and that's really what it was. And at first it was it was actually a beautiful thing to see it all come together, because at first we kind of did it alone. You know, the fans were so devastated and disappointment for and disappointed from what had happened to them initially there wasn't a whole lot of support but then slowly but surely we started to win the trust back from the fan base to where the point to the point where by the end of the season there was more support and right now there's more support 
in Campobasso than there was even two years ago because we were part of that too when the club got promoted to Sedia Chi. So that was so cool. And, you know, this has been a redemption story, which obviously is the, you know, the slogan, the team slogan, but it's a redemption story that would never have been possible without the contributions of everyone. You know, it's ownership plus the sporting team, you know, plus the management team, plus the fan base all now coming together and uniting, um, you know, for a common goal. And that's been the coolest part of the experience for me. Yeah, I mean, and then we're looking at the project going forward. Of course, now you're Serie D, right? And you initially came in and you invested a $3 million valuation level at the beginning. Uh, following promotion, I believe the most recent value of the club was approximately $15 million. So my question for you there, Matt, is as the club begins to grow and evolve for a region which is comparable to the size of Spezia and Sassuolo, what plans have you guys as an ownership group to diversify revenue streams to remain competitive? Well, for us, it's all about the international fan base, the international market when it comes to revenue diversification. Connor, you know, we look at it. Campobasso, one of the, look, one of the, it's a blessing and a curse sometimes with Southern Italy. Obviously, there's less money domestically in Southern Italy compared to some of the wealthier northern cities. But but there's a lot more money in Southern Italy when you look at the North American market because most of the expats and immigrants and, you know, second and third generation um, you know, second gen- and third generation Italians come from Southern Italy. So for us, it just created a massive opportunity to export the brand internationally. And that's really what our revenue strategy is, is concentrated on. You know, when you look at the domestic, when you look at the domestic market in Italy, you know, there's your relative, there's, it's a relatively confined window of r- revenue opportunities. And, but when you look at the international market, it's massive, you know, there's just to give you an example Campobasso, you know, as a city is about 50,000 people as a region and Campobasso really is the only team of the region of Molise. So all of the people of Molise really support the club. There's about 300,000 people in the region. And there's over a million people from Molise who live in North America. So think about that for a second. You know, the addressable market in North America for the club is about four times the size of what it is domestically. So that's really what we're concentrating on. You know, we're trying to engage as much as we can with the international community, use the club as a platform to help them uh, to help them reconnect with their roots and their heritage and really give them a source of pride, you know, for their, um, you know, for their motherland. And, you know, we're doing that through community events and through um, special you know, merchandising and obviously through content. And, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff with the youth Academy and tours here, but that's really, I think our, our ace in the hole with from a revenue standpoint is that we have a massive international following and, you know, we've been a part of other clubs in, in Europe. And um, I can tell you firsthand the upside and the potential and the opportunity internationally with Campobasso far outweighs anything that, or exceeds anything that we had seen previously. It's amazing. And for you guys as an ownership group, I mean, the good news just seems to keep on going because, of course, the last week, last Friday, I believe, the news about the expansion USL side to Brooklyn. Can you bring us up to speed with developments there? <laughs> Yeah, so that's been my little kind of baby, my secret now for almost two years. So I, you know, we had been approached about two years ago by some of the American soccer leagues, football leagues here. You know, they had heard about us because we had proven ourselves out as, you know, as operators over in Europe and in Italy in particular. And that's when I started to form with our team this vision to bring elite world-class professional soccer to Brooklyn, which by the way, is right in our backyard. You know, we grew up, I grew up right here in New York and in our office forever has been downtown Manhattan. And 
you know, Brooklyn is near and dear to my heart. I've, I've lived there for several years. All three of my daughters were born there. And we know Brooklyn really well. And that's when we started to form this thesis around if we're going to do soccer in America, let's do it in the market that in a market that really can represent international football better than any market in the United States. And that's Brooklyn, in my opinion. And you're Brooklyn, if you look at the socioeconomic and the demographic composition, if you look at the international um, you know, expat base that lives in Brooklyn, I mean, what better market in the United States to bring a European elite style you know, model of football, professional football too, than, than Brooklyn. So that's when we started to form this. This was about two years ago. And then obviously at that point, it was just a dream and it was just a vision. But then to bring it to life, um, you know, we had to do do a lot of work. You know, we had to, of course, negotiate proper deal terms with the league. You know, we wound up choosing the USL as our partner, you know, to take the project to. Uh, we had to look for venues. You know, in Brooklyn, it's not easy to find venues. It's not easy to build, you know, pro- to build uh, land is, you know, obviously at a premium. So it's not easy to build new developments there. So you're restricted really to finding, you know, venues or working with venues that already exist. And this odyssey basically lasted for almost two years. And we we're really excited to finally get it closed a couple of weeks ago. And now we can get to work and start building out what we uh, what we dreamed of a few years ago. And what I'm most intrigued to know a bit more about is, of course, you personally and North Sex Group have a passion for investing in the underdog. So for me, given my own recent kind of travels to New York and particularly Brooklyn as well. How does Brooklyn exactly fit into that narrative? Well, I think Brooklyn is the, is the ideal market and the symbol of the underdog, you know, Brooklyn, people from Brooklyn are, are proud, you know, Brooklyn has its own identity. I think there's a grit to Brooklyn and a, you know, and a hustle to Brooklyn that's unlike any other city, not just in the United States, but in the world. And then obviously Brooklyn is a borough, of course, within New York City. But if you, you know, if you looked at Brooklyn as a spin-off city of its own, I think it would be the third largest city in the world. It's just under, I think it's just under three million people. So, and then everyone from Brooklyn is proud to be from Brooklyn. You know, people when if you if you if you talk to people who are from Brooklyn, they never say they're from New York. They always say they're from Brooklyn. You know, that's really their identity. And I think that that identity really represents the identity of the ethos of football, football fans, football clubs. I mean, football clubs were born in places like Brooklyn across the world, right? Like if you look at, look at how Manchester United was born and look at how um, some of the Italian clubs were born, you know, Genoa was born as a, as a cricket and football club, right? I mean, these were, these were, you know, Ternana in Italy was formed by iron workers. I mean, these are clubs that really were, their roots traced back to hardworking, blue collar, you know, gritty, People, right, and I think that's what Brooklyn is. I mean, these weren't, you know, these weren't clubs. Now, obviously, the you know ownership structures and whatnot has changed hands. But I mean, these clubs were not founded by billionaires and by private equity and hedge fund tycoons. You know, they were found by the working man and the working woman. And um, I think Brooklyn is the perfect market to uh, represent that and to really breathe life. I think much needed life, new life, into American football. I think in American football, we're heading into the golden era the golden age over the next 10 or 15 years. I think we're, I think we all would agree with that. Um, But I think we need innovation and we need new life and we need new, new types of um, thinking and new types of perspectives. And that's really what led us to the USL too, because Brooklyn with the USL, you know, we're able to execute in a little bit more of an entrepreneurial way, you know, a little bit more independently in terms of 
just building the brand and aligning ourselves with partners and buying and selling players. It's a little bit more similar to the European model. And I think Brooklyn itself is just Brooklyn is more of an independent market. And I think it's it's a little bit of a better fit for us because we're going to operate this with a little bit more of an independent vision. You spoke about it there. I mean, we truly are entering a golden era of football here in the continent of North America. And you speak about there's a certain type of demographic there in Brooklyn. And of course, there's a huge footballing audience, but there's a huge non-footballing audience as well. So what I'm intrigued to learn a bit more about, you know, echoing of my own experience here up in Canada is how do you plan to engage with fans and appeal to that wider demographic? Well, look, Connor, when I think about Brooklyn, I think about creating a platform you know, for Brooklyn Football Club, I think about creating a platform that really can usher a new era of football into the United States, right? And I think that this is just like in Campobasso, we're not just a football team, you know, we're really a platform that represents, you know, a certain set of values, and there's a certain story and a certain grit, um, you know, to the club, I think Brooklyn is no different. I mean, Brooklyn will really be a platform and a brand and the vehicle that we're going to use to ignite the platform is going to be football. So I think that's the big thing. I mean, I think with Brooklyn, you're going to see us really embrace the local communities. You're going to see us embrace the the immigrant and the expat and the ethnic communities. And the, you know, Brooklyn is a melting pot. So obviously, you know, we really want this club to be a source of pride for all of the people who've come to Brooklyn. You know, from all over the world, from all walks of life, from all backgrounds and ethnicities. And I think Brooklyn in itself is uh, is really going to be a platform to represent that. We want to build a fully, the issue that I have sometimes with American football is that it's still at, you know, at, at an ownership level, it still remains a very exclusive club. It's very exclusive. If you look at the MLS franchise value, um, expansion fees and the asset values, I mean, you know, obviously they're well-documented and by the way, that's great. Right. But, um, but it's a very exclusive club and it's a very closed door policy. You know, we want Brooklyn to be the opposite. We want Brooklyn to be fully inclusive. We want it to represent the everyday, you know, person. And we want it to be fully open doors. You know, we want no doors to be closed. And that's really what uh, we're, you know, we're committed to building here. And that's going to be, you know, that'll seep through the pores of everything we do when we build the club, you know, how we recruit players, we're going to recruit players from international markets, we're going to also embrace the local communities, you know, we're going to do um, do all of that. So I'm I'm excited about it. I think it's just a fantastic story of what can actually be achieved in a game because uh, one of the things I'm most intrigued about now at the moment is MCOs and multi-club ownership. And you can see across a wide variety of um, reasons as to how diverse that stratosphere actually is. But I haven't come across many MCOs such as North Six Group that prepared like it's all about giving back to the fans and kind of it's like Phoenix rising from the ass from the ashes. So what I'm particularly most intrigued about to learn going forward for the future, Matt, is as success comes and goes and as the company begins to evolve and as your holdings and your begin to diversify across the portfolio, how do you envisage North Six Group evolving within that? And can we expect the acquisition of further football clubs as part of that journey too. Totally. I think, Connor, the look, here's the big thing with us is that 
you look at, you, you know, multi-club ownership is not a new phenomenon. In fact, it's obviously, as you mentioned, it's an increasing, it's a, it's a trend that's increasing in popularity. But I think the difference with us is, you know, for, for better or worse, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, we obviously were, you know, we're a single owned family office. We have obviously a great network, but we're, you know, we're, we're much more restricted in terms of our resources than some of the more institutional investors and larger family offices and private equity, um, you know, private equity firms that have went out and invested in multiple clubs. So, you know, we have to be much, we just have to be really smart about the deals we do. We have to understand the downside risk because, you know, we can't afford to go out and, you know, make a take a risk that potentially could, you know, come crashing down because um, we might not be able to recover from it. And, you know, it forces, I think, a level of discipline and rigor that might not necessarily, not that it doesn't apply, but it's, you know, you can get away with making a few mistakes at, you know, if you have larger resources and larger backing than we have, you know, that we can't afford to make. So, um, you know, we're always looking for that diamond in the rough. You know, we're looking for, we're looking for the underdog club that we can buy into, understand our downside risk. And then the upside risk is the upside potential is enormous. And I think that's what Campobasso has proven to be. And I believe Brooklyn is going to be the same. I mean, I think Brooklyn can become a model market for doing football, professional football in the United States. And obviously the ball is in our hands or on, on our feet, I should say, to, uh, to make that happen. Um, and that's really our, our thing. I mean, we can't, we don't have the ability to go buy a, you know, $1.2 billion MLS team. So what can we do? We have to be a little bit scrappier. We have to be a little gritty and we, frankly, we have to be more Brooklyn like, um, and that's what brought us to Brooklyn. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, Matt, to be honest, it's been an honor and a privilege to get you on the show and to learn as to what North Six group are getting up to and, possible evolutions going forward. I mean, I think the story of Campo Basso deserves wider recognition amongst the footballing audiences out there because it's certainly not easy to achieve defeats, which you've achieved in such a quick turnaround. And having a deep affinity for New York myself, I can only begin to imagine what actual a soccer team will do for the city, of, an extra soccer team will do for the city in New York and, for, and in particular the borough of Brooklyn. So a big uh, pleasure and thank you for coming on the podcast once more. Connor, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for the support, and let's get you to Italy for a Campobasso game or an Ascoli game, or let's get you to Brooklyn soon for uh, for a Brooklyn game. Tickets in the post. Matt, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. You too. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Connor.